there is an ongoing refugee crisis in our country and in our world. Millions, thousands of men, women, and children are making the incredibly difficult and impossible journey to a country they don't know with a language they don't speak to seek refuge and a better life for themselves and their families. The stories are heartbreaking, yet there are glimmers of hope in the darkness. Often these families come and we think that they need our charity, but what they really need is an opportunity, a chance. Charity doesn't change lives and families. Business does. A job does. Sustainable employment does. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Stephanie Giddens, founder of Vickery Trading, a children's clothing company with a bigger mission to equip refugee women for long-term success through vocational training, personal development, and fair wages. This is an absolutely incredible conversation about a topic that I'm incredibly passionate about, and I know that you're going to be encouraged. So without further ado, on to my conversation with Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hey, Molly. Thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you. And this is one of those interviews where we have just, we connected so long ago. And so to be able to finally sit down and get to know you and learn more about you, I'm just, I'm pumped. I know, it's so fun. So we're going to dive right in and I'm going to have you give me the Stephanie 101. So tell us your story. Okay, yeah. So I am Stephanie Giddens. I was born and raised in Texas. I'm a Texas Aggie. And I now live in the Dallas area, have three kiddos that are nine, six, and four. Okay, I have to pause there really quick because, so I, when I was in college, I went to a conference at Texas A&M and I was born and raised in Virginia. And so I flew to Texas and I went to this conference. And you want to know the thing I remember about the conference is not anything about the conference at all, but eating at Freebirds. That's the only thing I remember. And I still, to this day, now everybody knows I'm a burrito lover. Like, I still, to this day, like, don't get me wrong. I will ne- like, I will never stop loving Chipotle. But there is nothing like a Freebirds burrito. Lord have it mercy. It's so good to hear someone that is not an Aggie say that. Because <laughs> any Aggie will probably tell you they like Freebirds more than Chipotle. And I oh. love Freebirds way more than Chipotle. Oh. But to hear someone else say that is no. just and, so and, encouraging. And everybody knows how much I love Chipotle. Like, it's my favorite thing in the world. But I'm like, I only love it more than anything else because I don't have a Freebirds across the street. <laughs> I need a free birds. They need to bring free birds in North Carolina. <laughs> it is good, good stuff. Anyway, so for those of you that have never been to Texas and never had free birds, here's what you need to do right now. You need to pause this podcast. You need to go get a ticket on Southwest Airlines. You need to fly yourself to Texas and go get you a burrito from Freebirds. And then you can tweet at me and Stephanie or Instagram at me and Stephanie when you're getting your Freebirds burrito. And then you're going to be like, I know what they were talking about now. So <laughs> Exactly. And well, there's actually one less than five minutes down the street from us. So oh, they can just come visit me and I will it. take them. Can I I'll come even visit buy you? them a burrito. I will buy you a burrito oh next time you're in Dallas. That's my love language is like <laughs> you, you can just buy me a burrito and I will be happy. I'll be a happy camper. Um, no no joke. When my husband and I got engaged, we went and celebrated 
at Chipotle. Like that was what that was our celebration oh, awesome. meal. Was at Chipotle. <laughs> we didn't go to some five star place. Mm-mm. We went and got ourselves a burrito because if you can eat a messy burrito where just like the salsa is like dripping down your hands and you got like cilantro stuck in your teeth and the person sitting across from you still loves you, then that's when you know you have mm-hmm. snagged a winner. I'm just yep, saying. They're a winner. I'm they're just saying. definitely a keeper. Anyway. Okay. So you're married. You have three <laughs> kids. You're in the Dallas Fort Worth area, which I also love Dallas Fort Worth, but that's a whole nother conversation for another day. Um, cause I could digress about Fort Worth stockyards and all the good times. there. <laughs> oh yeah. It's the fun side of the Metroplex. Um, anyway, so, okay. So continue. So yeah, I graduated from A&M with a health degree and this will all come together in a minute, a community health degree. And then I um, went and got a master of theology and then now I work in a fashion company. So, <laughs> so yeah, it finger. all makes, it all makes total sense. Of course. Yeah, it totally does. Um, except for the fact that I do work with refugee women every day. So that community health degree actually kicks in almost every day as these women have unending needs of all different kinds that we get to help with and serve. So I actually use that all the time and get to love on them all the time. So it ended it. up being a good combo. I love it. That's amazing. Now, for those that are not familiar with Vickery training, tell us about it and exactly what your mission is. Yeah. So we are a nonprofit social business that equips refugee women for long-term success. And we do that through vocational training, personal development, and fair wages. So essentially, we hire refugee women, train them to sew at a professional level. We produce a a clothing line, mostly little girls clothes throughout most of the year, except during the holiday season, we branch out into some more gift type products for the entire family. Um, and then we take about 45 minutes or an hour every day doing personal development and cultural assimilation. So they're getting English, ESL classes, reading, handwriting, typing, all of that to really get them up and running as employable residents here in the United States. Now, how did all of this get started? Because this is one of those things that like, like you said earlier, like your story, in some ways, yes, you use those skills, but it doesn't necessarily make sense by conventional standards or whatever, you know, from start to to where you are now. So um, how, where did you get the idea for it? Where did, how did you get it started? I need the whole backstory. (laughs) So I kind of have to tell my story in pieces because there's lots of it. Well, I have always had a passion for the underdog um, in whatever capacity that is. When I graduated from college, I went to work for the Head Start program and did health education with them, getting to work with um, under-resourced families um, through school systems. And um, so that was kind of my background there is that education piece. And um, so I, I helped start a ministry here in Dallas for young professional women. And we did a couple of projects through them. One was it, we raised money to fund micro lending and women's leadership training for a village of women in Rwanda. And then we also did another project based on human trafficking uh, here in Dallas. So those two projects combined really sparked my interest in the social justice realm in empowerment, especially of women and marginalized people groups, people who don't necessarily have equal access to education and jobs, things like that. Um, So from that, um, my husband was kind of feeling the same thing in a lot of different ways. We um, decided to move to Kigali, Rwanda about five years ago. 
And we were going to start eventually start a social business there that employed women and helped them get up and running with legitimate means of income. We were going to move there for a few years first, learn the business environment, figure out what we were doing. And 24 hours before we shipped our container, the job fell through and we did not end up moving. And so I was stuck here in Dallas and I was like, well, now what do I do? I thought I was going to be living in a third world country and I'm in one of most metropolitan areas in the United States. <laughs> and um, so from that, I started to pay attention to what was going on around me. And uh, my church was getting involved with um, a refugee community here in Dallas. There's a neighborhood of about 20,000 refugees called Vickery Meadow, hence wow. the name Vickery Trading Company. And the neighborhood's about five minutes from where I live in Dallas. So I realized, you know what, there's literally thousands of women with the exact same needs right here in the U.S., five minutes from home. And this thing that I thought I was going to do overseas, I could start that here. And so I was like, okay, this is crazy, but I'm going to go for it and figure out how to make it work. That's incredible. Now, was it just that you were like, okay, you knew right away, like, okay, we're going to do clothing or was it more like, did you work backwards from finding out what skill sets they had and then you decided on what you were going to do or did you set, did you know what you were going to do and then you decided to give them the skill sets? How did that work? Hmm, I wish I could say that it was this really pretty polished, organized, <laughs> systematic thing. It never is. Like, it never is. Yeah. Learn in a textbook in a business school, but it's not, um, you know, I did notice a little bit that there was a, a somewhat of a sewing skill um, in a lot of these people groups. It, it's kind of hard because um, there's so many people groups. There's about 80 different languages in this neighborhood that I work in. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, so, yeah. I mean, they, they call it the United Nations of Dallas um, wow. because there there's just so much. So if you think about that, that's all cultures, all these different languages, different education levels, different religions and belief systems and all kinds of stuff. Um, so it's hard to kind of look at the neighborhood and say, yes, this is the thing. But I knew that I needed a, a skill that could be taught that didn't require English. So mm. it had to be something that I would show them. Um, I am crazy enough that I did not know how to sew when I started this. <laughs> so, I, I really am crazy. Um, and so I was like, man, I should probably have some street cred. So I went and took some sewing lessons and then I recruited, quickly recruited a bunch of people around me who did actually know what they were doing and, um, realized that we could teach women a skill or improve upon a basic skill that they already had. Um, and it didn't necessarily require a lot of English in the beginning. And, um, sewing is one of those skills, you know, that allows for community and relationships because you're sitting in a room together, which is really what is required for building trust with people who are new in America and to help build their English, you know, to allow them an opportunity to converse with someone in English. And um, so we kind of, I kind of took it from there. It was more kind of in the back door as far as what skill set would work. I think sewing is going to be a good fit for women. Okay, sewing. Okay, what are we going to sew? And then product-wise, I looked at the social business arena. And I said, well, there's a lot of people making jewelry, accessories, handbags, those kinds of things. Um, not as many people doing clothes, certainly not as many people doing children's clothes. So mm -hmm. I'm going to pick children's clothes. Um, 
I didn't realize at the time that people don't pick children's clothes because that's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> there maybe there's a reason. reason. No one was doing it. <laughs> um, and so, but I, I basically saw a hole in the social business arena and this need for people who want to give back, you know, when they're dressing their children. Yeah. Um, even though, uh, you know, it is, it is on the more costly end and all of those things. But um, so once we figured that out, then we went and started mom's focus groups, figuring out what are moms looking for. Um, and I being a mom myself, you know, that helped inform the process as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we kind of backed into where we are product wise. It wasn't because I'm this super fashionista that has been sewing since I was five because <laughs> I'm none of those. <laughs> I love it. Well, this is clearly, um, this is an area that you really have a heart for service is the refugee community. And um, mm-hmm. this is a, this is an area that I really have a heart for too. And I would just love to know kind of what has been your experience in working with um, the refugee community and what have you learned throughout this process? Um, what has maybe been surprising to you or maybe something that has really encouraged you or something that has challenged you? I'd love to just kind of hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I will start with the encouraging part. (laughs) Um, There's a mixed bag of everything. Um, The very first refugee um, that I really actually sat down with and talked to here in Dallas. Um, She invited me into her home when I was taking over a box of resources. This was not related to bickery trading. This was... um, you know, with a local community center. And um, she invited me into her home. And I remember the only thing she asked for that day was, I need a job. Can you help me find a job? And that kind of started my thinking um, about refugees is they kind of, I feel like they get a bad rap a lot of times of they're coming here and taking all of our resources. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, that is something I have absolutely not found to be true. They are some of the most resourceful people in the world because they've had to survive such trauma. Um, but also that they're incredibly industrious and hardworking. Um, and they want to, they want to provide for their families. This is their shot to start over because they've lost their homes. They don't, they don't have another chance. They can't go back. Um, and so they really want to work really hard and take, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that are available in America. Mm-hmm. And so that has been super encouraging is I'm working with an incredibly hardworking and industrious population, yes. you know, that really want to be helped. Yeah. So that's super encouraging. Absolutely. Um, on the flip side of that, I would say the most challenging part of working with refugees is it's the culture gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have about uh, five or six nationalities in my office right now with the women that we have on staff. I think about five or six. And it's just a completely different way of thinking. They come, most of them come from the Middle East or Central Asia. Mm-hmm. I have some African. Um, and it's a very highly relational um, community that is not oriented around time or money, yes. <laughs> which are the two biggest things in American business. Yes. <laughs> and so trying to find a middle ground where I can communicate and train them effectively for success in the United States um, and still, you know, love them and help them in a way that communicates well to them is a really big challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And that is something I have heard echoed from so many different groups who work with 
people in different cultures because the whole, like you said, time is money and money is time and all those things like that mentality is pretty much just a Western mentality. And so Mm -hmm. you have, you know, these businesses in the United States that are worried about the bottom line and they're worried about profit margins and they're worried about time and they're worried about efficiency and all these things when you go to almost any other country and Mm -hmm. it's not like that. And (laughs) I always joke like, I mean, my main experience is working with groups in Kenya and my Kenyan family family, and I love them so much. But it's just we always like we always laugh, both the Kenyans and the Americans. We always laugh because it's like we always call it like when you're in Kenya, you're on Kenya time. And like yep. they don't they don't look at the clock like churches all day because you just kind of roam in whenever like you know just like exactly like exactly they're like they're, you know you say be somewhere at three o'clock and they're like okay like <laughs> just everything just kind of runs on its own schedule and so that can be hard when you're you're trying to make sure that you're respecting everybody's time while also making sure that work is getting done and things like that while also taking the time the important important time of building community and building relationships and connection and how important that is I know you're loving this conversation with Stephanie, and I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show, who's able to help make it possible, and that's Cultivate What Matters. This is something I talk about all the time, and that is pursuing our God-given dreams and goals. You want to be the person you were made to be, but your time, your heart, and energy have been sucked dry by guilt, distractions, and not knowing where to go next. Enter the Power Sheets. I've personally been a Power Sheets user for over three years, and they have completely transformed how I set goals and grow both personally and professionally. The incredible one-year intentional goal planner from Cultivate What Matters is ready to help you uncover intentional goals and live them out. It's absolutely for anyone, love at home moms, students, CEOs, entrepreneurs, women in any season of life who need a grace-filled system that works. Thousands of women all over the world have made their goals happen with the Power Sheets, your day planner's best friend. The Power Sheets are a proven process that works and includes 12 full months of goal-setting worksheets to help make your goals a reality. Are you ready to live on purpose? If you want to finally be the woman you were created to be, free of pressure and the need to be perfect, head to stillbeingmolly.com slash cultivate now to order your power sheets and explore their entire 2019 collection. Now back to my conversation with Stephanie. My friend Emily, who owns the Flourish Market, um, she and I have had this conversation a lot. And it's a story that she has told me, but also a story of I've experienced on my own as well. And that is um, when she was working the first time, I believe, that she worked um, I, be- in, I believe it was Rwanda. And so she was in Rwanda and she was speaking with this woman and talking about how what the woman you know, after the woman had been employed for a little while, she had had a sustainable income. She was able to send her kids to school. She was able to pay her rent. But like the first thing that she really wanted to purchase for her home was a chair. And it was that so she could provide a place for a guest to sit. And how it was like, is that not amazing? And like, that is such an important thing for so many people in developing nations. It's like, okay, I've got my, you know, my kids are in school. I've got my rent covered. I like even before they f- buy food, they're like, I need a, mm-hmm. a place for my guests to sit because mm-hmm. the honor of inviting somebody into your home and fixing them a cup of tea or fixing them some chapati or whatever it is, you know, whatever the kind of meal is that you would fix when somebody comes into your home, like that honor is so important. And you know, just think about here too, like if we have somebody into our homes, 
what do we want to do? We want to make sure we have a guest room set up for them, or we want to make sure that the house is clean, or we want to, you know, make sure that we fix them a nice meal. And, and, but that importance of ultimately like building community and, um, that can be such a hard balance when we're talking about business and also, you know, wanting to make sure that we're, we're doing business right. And we're building our business while not forsaking the power of connection and community. Yeah, exactly. Well, and especially in this context, because we have so many naturally clashing cultures that are working together mm. that, um, and if our, if my women, are, we're all women in the office and the women are not working well together, the office is not running well. Yeah. <laughs> we have to keep that really in check. Um, they had told me, uh, they, the proverbial they, a bunch of people actually had told me before I started, you're never going to get an Afghan woman and an Iraqi woman to work together. They don't get along. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and so, that was kind of my challenge. Exactly. Because <laughs> um, I love a challenge. So I, and they came in the first couple weeks and they were like, I don't want to sit by her. I don't want to work with her, all of these things. And I was like, yeah, sorry, that doesn't really work in America. We don't really do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, or we're not supposed to at least, and especially in the workplace. And so I would have them sit down every morning and have a con- five minute conversation in English um, as they were just barely learning English. And I would have them talk about home about is there a food you miss or how do you celebrate a birthday or you know whatever it was really benign neutral topics and we were able to form this little community that crossed cultural barriers which has been really cool in this context for them because even refugees I think Americans look at say Vickery the neighborhood I'm in and just say the refugees and that's really not the case they're really subdivided into people groups and language groups, except here in our office, we kind of have this cross-cultural family thing going on. So we we have been able to build something really special. I would love for you to just expand a little bit on that, about when you were talking about, you know, just the challenge that you accepted of how do you get these groups that culture says, oh, this person is, this Afghan woman and this Iraqi woman are not going to get along. What did you, how did you approach that? in the beginning and and how what have you learned along the way that has maybe made that bridging that divide easier does that make sense mhm um well i think a lot of it comes from growing up in america it truly is a melting pot and the last couple of years i think we've seen the nation so divided in so many ways racially both inside and out, outside of our borders and so it's kind of brought the subject to the surface again so it's kind of forefront in all of our minds anyway but um, I grew up across the street from an African-American family and they were no different to me. So I kind of carried the same thinking into all areas of my life. I'm like, I think it's a beautiful thing, different languages, different cultures, different skin, all of those things. And there's no pecking order there in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told the women, you know, when I when I saw this kind of non-community thing going on, you know, I told them, I said, ladies, every single one of you was created in the image of God. You are all precious women. And all of you are here. I don't like how you got here. I hate the way that it happened. And I'm so sorry you're away from your families, but it is. And I want to help you make the best of it. But the fact of the matter is there are so many, we focus on so many of the differences, like what we wear or what we speak, but there are so many more things that we have in common than we do different from one another. Because in our, in our case, especially we're all women, 
we're sisters, we're wives, we're daughters, we're daughters-in-law. We get happy about things. We get sad when people die. We care for our children when they're sick. We have so many things in common that we really need to be focusing on that. And once we kind of turned our attention from, oh, you're different because, to this is what actually unifies us, we were able to just see past the differences and realize we are at a very basic level humans who have the capacity to have relationship and love one another despite what our skin or language says about us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such an important part of the conversation. And, um, you know, so often you hear people be like, oh, I don't see color or I don't see race or I don't see. And I'm like, that actually, in my opinion, is in a lot of people's opinion, it's disrespectful to people of different races and colors and because it's just it's part of who we are so it's like Mm -hmm. well how about instead of saying I don't see color or I do see race say actually I do see that you are of a different race than me and I think it's beautiful and I want to learn from it or I do see that you are a different religious background than me so I want to learn from you and I want to hear your story and I want to learn how we can, you know, respect each other's differences. And maybe we come at things from different perspectives and we have, we have different stories, but they're all like, we are all at the, at the end of the day, we're all human. So like we have that common Mm -hmm. ground and we are all made in the image of God. So like, how do we then move forward and use our individual strengths and use our individual, you know, cultures and backgrounds and races and, and religions to bring us together instead of, um, you know, instead of being like, oh, it's us versus them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause that, I mean, at a very, at a survival level, that wasn't going to work in our office because there For was sure. like, there was going to be too much of an us versus them. Um, cause there was no critical mass for anyone, including me, the, the, the at times lone American in our office. But yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to see the women work toward common goals together and to be able to move, well, move past it, but also, like you said, respect the differences in culture, because some of them come from very ethnically and racially pure parts of the world that, um, that, you know, back home where it is dangerous, it, it, it is pretty volatile between different sects or groups. And um, so that's kind of their MO and to be able to move out of that into this respectful method of getting along is very different, but they've actually done really well. And it's, it's such a breath of fresh air for a lot of them because it's a lot safer in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I, man, I love this. And I could literally talk to you about this all day long because this is just a topic that I could, that I just, I just, yeah, I could, I could talk about it all day long because I love it. Um, But what is on the horizon for you and Vickery Trading, you know, here at the, we're at the end of 2018 and into 2019. Like what, what do you, what is your vision for kind of the immediate future and then the not so distant future? You know, we um, started Vickery Trading more as a kind of an incubator for what could this concept look like if we were to go in and dig in deep with certain marginalized people groups. And um, we're kind of working hard to perfect that model, especially on the education front. Um, We have a lot of work to do on training in English and reading and things like that, because really the skill 
um, the skill helps them to earn money while they're learning and it buys them time. They can just take a deep breath and have a job while they're learning all of the other really important skills that really get them up and running in the States, like mastering the language. Um, and once we have that figured out, um, I would love to see, okay, what other populations can we plug this into? You know, is it women who are trafficking survivors? Is it people who have been incarcerated? Who are the other groups of people that need help and just someone to cut them a break because they have potential and they want to succeed? And how can we help them do that? Um, so that's I'm answering your question kind of backward. That's kind of no, long term. I love you it. Know, how can how can we duplicate or replicate, you know, how what we're doing here and expand that into different areas on the shorter term? <laughs> I mean, we are just there. We're about two and a half years into business. We're still brand baby new. We're still figuring it out. Um, <laughs> having it figured out would be my short short term goal for tomorrow. <laughs> but really, really trying to identify what types of products do we need to head into next? Um, we we, I tend to bite off more than I can chew, and I try to tackle the wholesale animal this year. And I think that may be something that we're looking at next year is wholesale opportunities for us. We also opened up manufacturing for other um, brands who want an ethical manufacturing you know, source or a piece of their production line. Um, and we can do that here. And that has been really successful. And um, so looking to expand that. So really, honestly, um, just trying to settle into our groove is really, I know that sounds, you're like, well, duh, everybody wants to do that in business, but um, to really do it well so that we're positioned for growth when that opportunity arises, um, because we want to be a strong, solid, well-oiled machine. And that takes, it takes a lot longer um, given all the extra factors that we have going on in our company. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that is incredible and just such a, um, you know, it's such an honest picture because, you know, like you're like, well, that was a lot to take on. Um, but also something that just <laughs> because I think it's important for other business owners to hear that, too, because so often we set out these goals for ourselves. And like sometimes it can be really difficult for us to sit back and say, ah, you know what? maybe I took on too much or maybe that wasn't the thing I was supposed to do this year. And that's okay. Like it's not, we sometimes feel like we, we are, we have to lie to ourselves that we have to accomplish hashtag all the things before uh -huh. the end of some unrealistic or, or not unrealistic. That's not even the right word I'm looking for, but like this deadline that is not existent. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we feel like we have yeah, to absolutely. arrive right now. And there's this drive in me that always wants to do that. And then um, things just work slower with our nonprofit model. And with we don't have employees who are fully trained. We are a training program. And so those factors slow that down a whole lot, you know. But I also know that, you know, if I fail, which is okay at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. But if I fail this, I'm also, you know, failing the families that I'm supporting through this endeavor. So I really, you know, me and my board, um, we really try to get it right and do it well so that we can be healthy so that we can continue to help people. Cause that really, at the end of the day, that's what we're about. It's not about, you know, year over year sales growth. Um, it's really about how many more people do we get to help yes. by what we're doing? I love that. 
I love that. Stephanie, before we move on to the get to know you portion, is there anything else in particular that um, you wanted to make sure that you you mentioned and maybe I <laughs> I didn't get to it or something? Because I know I could, like I said, I could talk to you about this all day. But is there anything else um, that we didn't get to that you want to make sure that we cover before we transition? <laughs> not, that, not that I can think of. Because, yeah, I feel like I could. I could probably talk five hours about all of this. Um, <laughs> well, clearly I need to come to Texas and we need to have a free birds burrito and we can just talk about all of the things we can talk can about. Come hang out with us in our <sighs> shop. It's so fun. Oh my goodness. It would be amazing. Okay. So Stephanie, then we are going to then transition to the get to know you portion where we just ask some fun questions and learn a little bit more about who Stephanie is. And right. as my listeners know, this is the portion of the show where my amazing and talented husband transitions us to a get to know you round with a sound effect of his choosing. All right. The first question is, if you could win an Olympic medal for any sport, real or fake, what would it be? (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is um, this is like the my kids always ask me what superpower I would have. And it's a fake sport. Um, I would be the fastest in the world at getting ready in the morning and then getting unready, like ready for bed because that's so annoying to me to take the time to do those things. I just, I have things to do. Right. And so that would be my sport. (laughs) That's hilarious. See, I love, this is like a newer thing for me, but in the last like year and a half, two years, I have really loved the morning routine that I have like my getting ready morning routine. And I don't Mm -hmm. like anything to interrupt that, but I freaking hate getting ready for bed. Like I, (laughs) why is, I just, I'm like, Oh, I have to take my makeup off. Yeah. And brush my teeth. I don't think to go to bed until I'm already too tired. Right. And then I have to go through the process of getting ready for bed. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I just want to snap and have it done. Right. I'm like, (laughs) is my skin really going to be that bad if I sleep with my makeup on? I guess I I guess I have to take it off. I'm just, oh, it's the worst. Yeah. You're going to wash your face, got a skincare routine. You got to brush your teeth. You got to, you know, do dry shampoo or whatever it is. Like it's just it's a whole situation. I know exactly, and I cut more and more steps. You would think I would yeah. add more steps the older I get, but I'm like, Mm-mm. oh, I don't really need dry shampoo. Mm, yeah, I'll no. just wear It'll one of fine. Victory Trading's yoga bands tomorrow. That's fine. how I solve that problem. Most It'll be fine. I'll just, I'll just <laughs> throw my hair in a messy bun, and it'll be great. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> question number two: Where is your happy place? Ah, uh, it's a tie. Uh, you know what I really like is the beach. But like, let me clarify. And hopefully I won't offend my um, in-laws when I say this. Um, (laughs) 
because <laughs> they take us on a fabulous beach trip every year, but it's a beach trip with children. Oh, no, and no, that's, no. That's, no a that's, that's a trip. That's not a vacation. That's not, that's not the beach I'm talking about. I'm talking about <laughs> a beach in Tulum with not very many people mm-hmm. around and a book and an adult beverage on the sand just soaking up the sun. Mm-hmm. That's my happy place. Preach preach yep i love when people yeah because we every it's funny because my in-laws also amazing people they take us with our kids to the beach every summer and everybody's like oh how was your beach vacation i'm like beach trip Mm -hmm. it was a beach let's clarify here because it takes nine hours to Get all the sunscreen on the ki- the children. Get the towels. Get the beach chair. Like get the the toys. Everything to walk over to the beach, and then it takes mm-hmm. like twenty minutes to set everything up. And then you're out there for five minutes, and the kids have to go pee, or they mm-hmm. need a snack, or something. Like it's just the, the, so many things. Once yep. again. It's like getting ready for bed. It's like I want to snap. When I go to the beach, I just want to walk out there. I want to have a drink in my hand and I want to sit and I don't want anybody to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Like I just I just want five minutes without building sandcastles. Yeah. I just want to sit down. <laughs> you and me. You're, we're similar people. Um, okay. And then my last question is, what are you most grateful for today? You know, I think I'm most grateful for my husband. He has been my biggest cheerleader in this entire process. And he continually just insists that I am as valuable as he is in our family and in our decisions and um, continues to cheer that on, even though it comes at great sacrifice to him and our family. And there, yeah, I look at um, a lot of marriages out there that couldn't withstand what the crazy I put the family through for the last few years trying to get this up and running. So I'm incredibly grateful for that. Oh, man, Stephanie, that's beautiful. I love that. And that is such a um, that's a testimony that other people will see and that will have an impact on others. And I know it. I know it. He's a good one. So if you you have listeners that aren't married, they need to wait for the good one. Oh, I love it. (laughs) I love it. it. Oh, I love it. Stephanie, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your story and the heart of Vickery Trading. And we will plan a trip to Texas so that we can have a burrito. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. It was so fun. I am in awe of the drive and passion that Stephanie has for serving the refugee community. I'm so grateful for the work she is doing, and I hope you are also inspired by her. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Cultivate What Matters. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash cultivate to take the first step of getting your life back and cultivating what matters in 2019. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out, and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag business with purpose podcast or tag me at still being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. 
This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. <laughs>